We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to the True Faith Podcast at Long Show Today. Kind of two podcasts in one for you. My name is Alex Hurst. And first of all, I'm presenting a chat with Colin Whittle of the Newcastle United Supporters Trust about everything that's been going on recently. Uh, increased protests towards Mike Ashley on a, on a small scale at the moment, but it looks like it's starting somewhere and it looks like it's going to build with various fan groups getting together. Uh, Colin talks through the aims of the trust and why you should join and where he sees Newcastle United going um, in terms of ownership, protest, the manager, all that kind of stuff, a fascinating chat, thanks to Colin. And after that, we've got a chat from the lads who still are over in Porto, it's Sunday morning here, and um, I'm sure there's sore heads all around after a day on the Superbeg, Superbeg, Superbock, Chagres and whatever else they were drinking yesterday. Uh, they talk through United's nil-nil draw over there, recorded live from over there. Um, so they'll have a talk through that and where it leaves United in pre-season and where we'll go from here. So thanks very much for tuning into the True Faith Podcast. I'm going to leave you now with my chat with Colin. This podcast is sponsored by our patrons who pay £5 a month for for four extra shows a week and who keep this main podcast free. Thanks to you people. Uh, next Sunday is our great big uh, 2018-19 season preview, so tune into that. That All podcasts now, all free podcasts like that, are recorded on the True Faith YouTube channel. So if you want to see, would rather watch us uh, talk it through in the small studio we've got, please uh, head to True Faith and UFC podcast on YouTube, subscribe, loads of video videos, a uh, twice-weekly video called Mag Talk is also up on there, um, and that'll be from next Sunday. Okay, here's me and Colin. Welcome along to the True Faith podcast. You've got myself, Alex Hurst, today, and a special guest from the Newcastle United Supporters Trust, Colin Whittle. You are vice chair? No, I'm just a normal board just member. Just a normal board the, member. The trust, yeah. Yeah. Sorry, giving you too much of a billing here. You've elevated. I wish you told us that beforehand. Yeah. Um, yeah, and we're here to talk about. Well, this, I suppose you could call this the second podcast or third. We've done one with Steve Wraith. Um, so this is the third about the movement. If Rafa goes, we go. Just trying to get different supporter yeah. and key people reactions. Colin, um, first of all, before we go into details about the history of the trust and, and more importantly the future of the trust, your your assessment of what's happened over the past kind of seven to ten days with the movement coming about online. Yeah, I think I think the first thing I had uh, the observations of the fact that this movement has most moved so quickly. It's got so much support, and I think generally what's happened is uh, the supporters have been um, pushed to the limit over the years, and and they find what are, what's happening at the moment totally unacceptable. We've got an owner who didn't really seem to want to progress the club in any way, whereas we've got a manager who who does, and I think this. 
um, women kicked off last week and the amount of traction it's got in such a short period of time, it, it, I think it's captured everybody's imagination and, and it really has drawn out people from who have been sitting in the past but are now saying, look, enough is enough. And uh, so, so it's, it's quite interesting. Um, we're due to meet the guys behind it uh, later this week. So um, I think we've been a bit quiet on social media, etc. lately because we've been waiting to meet the various fans groups and, and the, this new movement just so that we can coordinate things and work with other fans groups collectively. But um, it has gained tra- traction in such a um, short period of time. It's been, it's been amazing, to be honest with you. And obviously that's, that's led to a few different things. You know, there's been a lot of media coverage that Conical have got involved <laughs> Um, the Newcastle Central, I think, MP, Chiona Rue, has, has taken this to Parliament, um, received both quite a lot of praise and, bizarrely to me, some some criticism. And, and your thoughts on that? And I know Chi's got a, a bit of a history with the Trust and the club. Yeah, well, well, Chi is a member of the Trust and she's also spoke at various events that we've had over the years. Um, we've we've done a couple of um, events Whose club is it anyway? Was it was probably one that's been well well received by more than anybody else. We had a supporters representative from um, from uh, Germany coming over talking about the whole way the, the the fans are represented in Germany, and we had um, um, members of other supporter trusts around the country speaking. She spoke at that. Um, she's also spoke at various other events, um, probably most notably over the last years when we were heavily involved in the NUFC Fans Food Bank. Um, she's supporting her local community. I think is the the position. As far as we're concerned, Newcastle is a community club and we've got an MP in the the, the uh, centre of the city actually standing up for a club in the community. So so it's praised by us, to be honest with you. I think um, there is many other issues, but she's been um, brave enough to, to come out and with her petition. So she got, she's got our full support. Yeah, and it's, it's always interesting to gauge reaction and in, in social media isn't always a fantastic gauge because A, there aren't that many Newcastle fans on it in terms of the wider the wider population, although there are quite a lot. Um, it's always strange, I think, to see some criticism of these things. Um, you know, people saying, it's quite vocally on social media, I don't think an MP should get involved. I don't. I think there are more important things for them to talk about. And whilst everybody's entitled to their opinion, I'm not saying particularly that makes her right and them wrong. Um, you know, it's it's almost like you see a lot of people saying, we well, can't target Sports Direct because of the staff. When well, no one's actually talking about targeting or making staff unhappy, going to the front of the queue has, has been suggested by other people and not buying something. Worse things will happen. Um, as, as far as I can remember, though I'm not an expert, the staff at Sports Direct aren't on commission, so it won't affect their livelihood or their income. Um, you can't do that. You can't use your local MP. You can't boycott the game. Do you feel that sometimes there's there's a little bit of defeatism amongst some supporters, which rubs off on other people and therefore stops anything meaningful happening? Yeah, I think that's a, a, a very good point. Actually, I mean, what we've seen over the years when we've been involved in, in various activities, we've had um, loads of fans who are not happy with the regime and the way the club's been um, managed by uh, the owner and wanted action to be taken, but there's also always been a disconnect on the type of action that should be taken. And um, a lot of people want one thing to happen and they don't agree with something else happening. Other people have got a, a different view. And it's almost impossible for, you know, we've got 52,000 to go at the match, but there's, there's, the support is much larger than that. It's almost impossible for everybody to agree on, on one particular thing. So I think it's a question of getting a, a middle ground 
I mean, from, from our perspective, um, we've been involved in quite a lot of activities over the years, whether it be marches, rallies, um, other sorts of boycotts. And what we've fa- found is that loads of people have supported them um, in the media, etc., etc. but there's been a, a, a large amount of people who just basically haven't been prepared to take action, um, and which is disappointing because it's only with the numbers do you then get the subsequent publicity. And we, we accept that it's impossible for everybody to agree on everything, but I think if we want to, to take something that will change and make a change at Newcastle and change the owner, it's something that, that has to happen collectively from the, the fans together. And sometimes you mightn't necessarily agree on the proposed course of action, but I think if we're all uh, working together, then then that's the only way forward. Um, f- as far as the trust were concerned, we were involved in a lo- number of matters over the years, a number of initiatives over the years. And in general, we've found that um, although a lot of people have indicated they'll give support, they'll turn up at events, that hasn't actually materialised. Um, and, and we sort of took a position a couple of years ago that clearly we weren't getting the numbers for, for initiatives that we were proposing, despite the fact that fans were wanting change. So we, we've been working on a national basis with um, um, national supporters organisations, FSF, uh, supporters direct, and, and that's been with a view to, to influencing the wider change in football, whether it be legislative change, change at the FA, in order that you can have um, fan representation imposed upon clubs because um, clubs and owners aren't willing we don't think to, to accept change and accept for support or representation. And I think there comes a point where it either has to be forced by action or alternatively by legislative or change at the highest level by the decision makers within the game. So just can I quickly get your position? I've probably got ahead of myself here. In in the Trust's opinion, why does Newcastle United and, and the Newcastle United fan base have to, at this moment in time, seek to f- try and force a change of ownership? I think we're in a position at the moment where we've got an owner who who really isn't interested in the progress of Newcastle United. Uh, the infrastructure such as training facilities, etc., they're not being progressed. The first team, um, you know, that you've got a manager there who you, you just look at his credentials. He's as good a manager as you can ever get. He's not being supported. I think we're at an important point within the history. We've had two relegations under the present owner and we've been lucky enough on both occasions to come back. My worry is that uh, we go and get relegated a third time uh, that could be it. There may well be no coming back. Uh, the manager will certainly be away, and um, you know he's got a years left on his contract. And w- w- as best we understand, he's going to stick to that. But you know, the, the football is littered with hist- history of big clubs who were big clubs, and um, unfortunately, they're now languishing in, in lower divisions. Um, our neighbours um, look where they're at at the moment, and there's big clubs with big history. Who, who in the past um, have made bad decisions, which is, have, have led to them being where they are now. And, and I, you, know, you, you fear that could happen to us. We've, got, we've actually got a great opportunity to push on under this manager with, with some investment, with some um, um, support for the manager and who he wants to bring in. We finished 10th last season. And um, I think where the manager wants to do is look to improve again. But the squad seems to not, not be improving, weakened, if anything. And you then get um, you get dragged into a struggle with all the other clubs. I mean, look at the teams who got relegated last season. You know, you're talking teams who had historically been uh, mid-placed. And the problem is, if 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 the limit of your ambition is to avoid relegation, one day the trap door is going to fall. We've seen that twice already during the current owners' um, um, tenure, and I think uh, we can't afford a third. And I, I think that's at risk at the moment. 
the supporters trust um was it or you can you tell me about the formation of it and i think there's a lot of of, of misconceptions and potentially just some people telling lies um, about the the early days of the trust and what went on. So, do you want to you know give the listeners here's the opportunity for you to the listeners to set the record straight? Yeah, well, the, the Supporters Trust officially was formed in, in 2009. Um, Supporters Trust movement has been going since um, uh, 1999, uh, around 1999 2000 when it was originally kicked off. Um, I was involved at that point in time because I'd actually been a, a litigant in the Save Our Seats uh, a case that. Um, when the, um, the the club brought in the corporate level at um, at the Millburn, and what happened? I was approached because I was a litigant in those proceedings by people involved in supporters direct, asked whether or not I was prepared to get involved in the, in the wider supporters trust movement, and um, at that point in time, we actually put um, we were a small shareholder in the um, in what was the PLC, so we got a hundred small shareholders together to sign a motion that would. Uh, set up a supporters trust at Newcastle. This was in the early 2000s. Uh, we met with a finance director at the club. He he approved the motion that we were putting there. Um, I won't go into the details, but but the owners backed it, didn't back it. It disappeared at that point in time. The, the motion got rejected. We were PLC at the time. And then um, when under the current owner, when Keegan was, um, was sacked, obviously there was a lot of dissension amongst the supporters. Uh, a fans group, um, Castanet Supporters Club, was set up at that point in time, and that was during the the season that we we first got relegated. Uh, unfortunately, as as you know, the, um, we were unable to, to stay in the division at that Premier League at that particular time. And during the course of the summer following our relegation, we were approached once again by Supporters Direct and talked about, look, you really need to set up a Supporters Trust in Newcastle, link it to the the National Supporters Trust movement. A lot of the work that was going on was about recognising supporters' trusts as the, um, the the group that supporters, that, that owners should have links with um, in their clubs. So as a result of that, um, there was a couple of um, meetings with representatives from, from supporters direct. Um, I think in the, in the town, we'd had um, James Matthew, who was the representative of supporters direct at that point in time, who come and give a talk. We had guys from Man United Supporters Trust who attended. Uh, a motion was put to the meeting of the, the then supporters club and said, should we move to supporters trust status to give to give this different status to the, the club? The position with the supporters trust is that you have a board, but you also have rotational um, board members. People can stand for the committee every couple of years. If they want to see change, they can shape that change by putting themselves forward, coming onto the board. Our current chairman, Peter Fanning, um, he put himself forward um, a, a couple of years ago. He didn't even know any members of the of the of the board at all. Um, he was elected onto the board. Now he's the, the NUST chairman. So it's 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 open to people who want to, to make change. It's it's interesting because a lot of people have said to us over the years, um, "We join you, but you don't do A, B, C, and D." And I say to people, "Well, join." And make us do A, B, C, and D. Get yourself on the board. Influence change. Um, we're, we're, the board has changed over the last couple of years. We've uh, got a lot of newer board members who are representing across from different areas of the supporters spectrum. And I think from our perspective, um, it then gives the opportunity to shape the direction of supporter representation going forward. Um, I think, as I've mentioned earlier, we we were involved in a lot of activities Earlier on, we there's various groups sprung up that we supported who were doing marches, rallies, um, open top bus, etc. We give support to a lot of those initiatives, but I think 
it, it split the fan base in some um, areas where people were arguing you should do this, you shouldn't do do that, you shouldn't do the other. And since then, we've sort of concentrated quite a lot on on working with the the national supporters organisations to influence change. If change isn't going to come locally from supporters, then let's make it it nationally by linking in with the the wider supporter fan base in the whole country. Um, what has been interesting over the last week is personally, it's made me think because I think from thinking there was a little bit of indifference out there, I think it's proved that that isn't the case and that people are people have had enough and they want to take some sort of action and that they want change. Of course, any change, you need uh, a new owner who, who is, you need two things, you need an owner who's going to sell and you need people who are who are going to um, come in and take over. From our perspective, we, we've released a document a couple of years ago when we did it, the last Whose Club Is It conference, whereby we talked about Newcastle as a community club that's available to see on our, our website, nufctrust.co.uk. It's about how we, we believe Newcastle should be at the centre of its local community with fans represented. Um, hopefully, change will come. We don't know how long that will be. But we've certainly been in contact with many people over the years who are interested in putting consortiums together. Um, the price has always been a factor that stopped people. Um, we've we've engaged with um, accountants and solicitors who are based in national and international firms uh, who've all given their work pro bono, basically because they're, they're Newcastle fans. We've drawn up lists of high-wealth individuals who've been approached about putting consortiums together. So from our perspective, it, it's not for the want of trying. Um, but I think one of the issues that we keep coming back to is that the, the price that the owner wants to sell at is, is not a price that people want to pay. And we've probably seen that um, as recently as the back end of last year with the Amanda Staveley bid where I know the owner was, um, there's been a bit of PR about that. But, you know, offers were put in, which which after due diligence, the purchasers thought w- w- were reasonable offers and they were rejected. Um we, we, the, the, I'm sure there'll be interest still out there. Um, Newcastle, after all, is a, an attractive club. We've got a regular 52,000 fan base at the games. We've got, you know, stadium based in the centre of the city. Um, we've got um, opportunities for growth, and we believe that you know we should be doing better than we are, and that we could be uh, with with a, an owner who really wanted to take the club forward. And we, we just don't see that this owner wants to take the club forward. And that the, the the club is effectively being used to promote his own um, retail uh, industry or the, his retail interests, and not the club's interests. That was a very um, a very good answer. Um, one of the one of the things I often see on social media is why hasn't the trust ever tried to just buy out Ashley? You know, with the fans, I had someone tweet me before saying, you know, all he needs is one hundred and fifty thousand Newcastle fans to pay two and a half grand each. We'll come on to that in, in, in a moment, but. But I believe there was serious efforts made in the early days to try and, I don't know, source, fund, whatever, a buyout. Do you want to go into yeah, any of those details? Yeah, no problem. I think um, there's at least two, certainly during the period I've been closely involved, there's been at least two bids where um, the trust have have been part of a, a wider con- consortium um, where uh, all representatives have actually been in discussion with the club officials uh, with, with regard to consortiums that have been put forward. Um, so, so that was individuals or groups of individuals who have come with a, with the idea of, of purchasing the club, uh, who approached us. Separately from that, we did, we've done a lot of work with, uh, as I say, um, international and uh, national accountants and, and solicitors to come up with 
alternative options whereby um, you could have a supporter buyout. Um, at the price that's being charged or, or being uh, requested at the moment, it's a lot different to where, where we, we were seven, eight, nine years ago when, when it was it was probably a viable um, product. We went to the point whereby um, we we engaged. When I say engaged, he did the work for nothing. We had a guy who basically does buyouts who, who was working uh, and coordinating with solicitors and accountants, putting a prospectus together. problem that you've got behind all of those things is that you still need the funds to, to get to the point where you're putting a bid together and, and that costs money to begin with. So you've got two issues, you've got a number of issues that you need to get over. We did some surveys to see what sort of donations and contributions people were prepared to make. And we, we thought at one point in time that it was a viable proposition. I think at the moment, what the owner is probably wanting to um, accept as a price um, to sell at, you, my own view, and I'm not a total expert in this area and, and our experts would advise accordingly, is that probably you wouldn't be able to buy a complete, make a complete buyout. You'd need to come together with a, a wider consortium. There's any number of people have been approached, and as I say, we've been involved with two, where we've actually been round the table having discussions with club officials. It's really frustrating, to be honest with you, because one of the things that you want to do is to talk about it, but obviously anybody who's doing anything gets you to sign up to a confidentiality agreement and non-disclosure agreements. So you're sitting where with the knowledge that you've actually had meetings, and I think the people who have been trust board members over the years who are probably listening to it, who've actually been in those meetings... And, and they can vouch for that. Um, but because we've signed non-disclosure agreements, we've not even been able to, to talk about it to, as to who they were, what the structure of bids would be. So so it's not that we haven't been doing anything. We've been going around to other clubs, um, uh, community-owned clubs at lower levels and, and um, looking how at how they put these bids together. And we've also looked uh, extensively at structures in Germany, but that's a, a totally different animal altogether. Where, where, and this is the bit where I was talking about you need legislative change, where, where in Germany, you know, there is this 51% rule about fan ownership, and it's enshrined in their rules. And that makes makes clubs at the hub of their own community. And, and sponsors want to get involved because... You, you get big local organisations involved. The German model works very well, um, but you probably need legislative change to, to bring that about in, in, in the UK. We don't think those who run football are, are quite ready for, for such a change. But I think it'll happen at some point in time. Um, and obviously the money that's pouring into the game at the moment through Sky um, makes um, football very attractive for, for anybody who wants to get involved. Sometimes, however, it's the wrong people who want to get involved ownership-wise and perhaps the tests need to be changed by the FA. But um, we have been undertaking a lot of work and, and the frustrating thing about it is that you know you, you, you can't say a lot about it at the time. Probably we've never promoted enough as well because um, we think there's some things that um, have come up over the last week where people have said to me, well, why haven't the trust done this? Why haven't the trust done that? And I've actually sat and said, "Oh, we we have done this. We have done that." And I've sat and explained with them. Um, we don't. I try to avoid, and we try to avoid social media. Won't. We'd rather sit with people and and explain to them some of the things that happened. We we've done that quite regularly over the last couple of years, where people have come with questions, queries, and and asked about things that we've done, and we've just went for a pint with them or in a coffee shop or met them somewhere which which mutually exclusive and sat down and explained some of the things that we've um, been doing. But we, we probably haven't um, 
you know, got out there in, in social media and the wider fan base, some of the things that we've been doing doing over the years, um, which which I, I fully accept we should have been doing better, to be honest with you. So, can you answer the question, why don't you just get the money together? T- tell tell the listeners why it's impossible in this, in 2018, to just get the fans together. So listen, if you want, if you want rid of Mike Ashley, this is how much we need off you. Let's yeah. just get it done. I think there's all sorts of financial rules and regulations behind it to begin with. And it's about how you would hold the money, uh, putting a bid together, how the structure would all 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 work, um, and and uh, I think the, the, it's a lot of the administrative bureaucratic matters that sit behind that. So I think if you had enough people who were prepared to do that to begin with, and 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 to make a declaration and and um, say they were prepared to put money in a pot, I think then that that would be the starting point. What we have done over the last um, few years, we, we did an end-of-season survey to see what the, the flavour was for that sort of thing. And we found that um, when we conducted that survey, there probably wasn't sufficient support to enable a supporter buyout. If that changes, we're prepared to take the documentation that we've had prepared over the years, um, get the solicitors and accountants engaged again and, and look at it. I think... Um, the first thing is we would have to be able to accept and supporters would have to accept that you have to have a, a lump sum to begin with to even put a perspective and a bid, a formal bid together, engaging professionals where it's appropriate. So I think it can, it can be done, but it's a long, complicated process and it certainly isn't as easy as as, um, as people might think, which is I'll give you X pounds and, and if 100,000 people give X pounds, we'll immediately be able to buy the club. You've got to have structures in place for the decision-making thereafter. And we've went down that road. We've produced a, a lot of stuff that would take us to that point. But the reason why we haven't went any further at this point was because what we don't want to do is to say to people, give us your money until such time as, one, you've got a willing buyer, but two, the, that you've got structures in place that can seamlessly be put in place if a willing buyer is then willing to sell to the fans. It, but, it, but it is complicated. It's, it's a lot more than um, the, the simply saying, I'll put X pounds in a pot. I wish it was as easy as that, to be honest with you. And maybe we would have uh, seen a change of owner over the years. Well, like you say, it's more likely to happen as part of a consortium because the figures we're talking about, if you, if you say that the club retained its Premier League status and actually was willing to accept maybe £340 million. You know, first of all, you've got, what, 52,000 paying customers at Newcastle United. Well, less than that because of the way. So 49,000, how many of them are kids? How many of them go but aren't that interested? How many of them go because work pays for their tickets? Uh, not very many, but some. Yeah. So you're really looking about, in my opinion, a hardcore of 30,000 plus, plus maybe some expats. And the figures are fantasy. People don't have this kind of money sitting in the bank to be able to buy Mike Ashley out in Newcastle United? I think that's a very fair assessment. I mean, we're going through an economic downturn as well. And, um, you know, whilst the thought of being able to sell, I'll give you X pounds, in reality, I don't think at the moment you'll be able to um, drive sufficient funds to be able to complete a fans buyout. I I do think with the consortium is the way to do it. And, um, you know, people, there's no doubt people have been interested over the years, but I suppose I I come back to the, Rich people do not get rich by paying over the odds for things. And and whilst the owner wants reputedly 400 million, we don't know what he wants actually. I mean, that figure has changed certainly from when we sat around the table with the owner's representatives. Um, I, I think the, the, the problem at the moment is being able to, to um, get sufficient funds together uh, from a supporter base 
um, that would generate enough, and I don't think that's possible without a, a wider consortium being involved. We 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 we've we have had people who've been interested, and obviously I can't name names. And there is various things that have went on over the years, just hasn't hasn't come off so far. But I don't discount that will it, it will happen at some point in time. Um, and from our perspective, we're keen to link with anybody because we think that no matter who comes in to buy the club, whether it be a a consortium, selection, different selection of individuals, a, a multi-billion um, foreign investor who's... We still believe that you know, we would like to see Newcastle as a club that's at the centre of the community that that is being um, thought of as uh, an owner who wants to come in and progress the club, not an owner who's going to come in and, and take over the club for their own purposes. And and when I say own purposes, you know, I, I'm looking to talk about generating the, the other interests, not improving the, the lot of the club and the, the, the local community in the city in which we're all based. So we've talked about what, what, what you think will happen but isn't realistic in the short term. What, what is realistic for fans? In, in the trust's opinion, what can fans do to enforce change? And I imagine the, um, the first thing you're going to say is join the Newcastle United Supporters Trust. Well, I think, I think one of the things that you would always say to people is, you know, if you, the stronger your supporter representation, your st- stronger your supporter organisation, the more sway you've got with, with anybody, whether it be club or, or other stakeholders you, that you're speaking to, because um, the less members you've got, the easier it is for an external stakeholder, the club or whoever, to say, well, you're not representative. So I think that's the first point, although we would say that we're supporters and you should always engage with your supporters no matter what. Uh, and so that's the starting point. So I think the first point is we would look to see if people would join join up. But the second point, I think, with regard to action, is is to be able to see bring up bring the various supporters groups together. And and I think our supporters groups slightly different in the sense that we're about fan ownership, fan representation. Other groups have got different aims. But I think the common thing is that we're all, we all have a love for Newcastle United. So bringing together all the different groups that that we know are out there and and agreeing a common course of action that that everybody can buy into and then can promote to the wider fan base. I mean, I think the last week has certainly shown that people, uh, our supporters in general, are just saying, look, we've had enough. We've got this great opportunity with a manager whose track record speaks for itself. If you support him, and, and this is what the message is, if you support that that, that manager, then he will he will bring in the goods. He will, he will be able to progress Newcastle United both on and off the pitch. I mean, if we look at the things that he's done, even in his short tenure, he's done that. We think he's brought the club and the community together a lot. And look what he's done on the on the on the football field. Massive improvements, and I think that can only improve. Um, I think we've got the best manager. You know, we haven't had many great managers, but uh, you look at Bobby Robson, Kevin Keegan in our our recent era, and Rafa's certainly up there. But you look at his record where he's done it in in different countries and he's done it domestically he's won trophies everywhere he's went and and to some extent I sit back and think How, how's this guy managing managing our club with what we've gone through over the last 10 years and 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 you know the two relegations etc and you, you look at us and you think we've got a, a guy here who really take the club forward if he's backed and um, I think we shouldn't lose that opportunity and and I think the support during the course of this season will be 100% behind Rafa. But I think if the fans come together, and as I say, we've got a, um, a wider fans group meeting uh, lined up, and we're also separately meeting the new fans moving um, uh, over the next few days, and hopefully supporters together will come up with a combined plan that we can then, f- the wider fan base will buy into. 
And how do people go about uh, getting involved in the trust? What what well, can they do? With, with regard to the trust, um, um, we've got a website, nufctrust.co.uk. Um, if, if people put in queries, they want to um, find out more, you, you can go onto the site. There's an in, information email there, info at nuft.org.uk. Uh, contact that, that uh, address. We've also got a Twitter handle, NUFC Trust. If you can communicate with us, um, via those methods, we can provide more information. Our membership actually has, has grown quite a bit over the last um, three or four days. And uh, um, th- those are the main forms of contact. We're happy to sit and, and talk to people who are interested in joining us. As I say, I, I personally prefer talking to people face-to-face than uh, um, dealing with social media and, and Twitter, Facebook or whatever. Um, I think it's it's much easier just to chat with somebody around the table and tell them, what your aims and objectives are. Show them some of the things that you've you've done over the years, and 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 see that um, you know we're looking for for uh, we're, we're, we're fans of the club and all that we're doing is looking for a better Newcastle United, um, which I think everybody is. Okay, Colin, that's that's brilliant. Thanks for coming out all the way to sunny Northumberland to get this message across to the listeners. Thank you. It's been an absolute pleasure. It's lovely out there today, and um, uh, it's been a pleasure to speak to the podcast. Thanks a lot. Hello, you're listening to the True Faith Match Review. We're recording live from Porto. We've just come out the Estadio do Dragao uh, to see Rafa's Mags draw nil-nil with a very strong-looking Porto side. Um, I'm joined by Mr. Norman Riley and Rob Clothier. Hello, lads. Hello, right. um, How was your Porto experience? How was that game for you? Very good. Um, fantastic stadium. Um, their fans were pretty good, weren't they? I thought, you know. The, the fans were decent. They did a yeah, weird thing with yeah. the uh, with the mobile phones for a bit. <clears throat> uh, a bit of a Coldplay concert going on there for a minute. There was, like, there was uh, a few firecrackers went off uh, as well. Yeah, uh, but they, they had the flags waving in there in, the, in one of the ends. Good and, display. Uh, I mean, there was a, there was a lovely um, there's a lovely um, video in uh, memory of uh, oh yes, that was good. Bobby Robson at the start, yeah, which he got he got a great reception yeah. from both sets of fans. Both teams held up a huge banner. Um, the memory to him as well. It was just a, it was a lovely moment. Mm-hmm. It was a, it was a great moment. It was a very, I think both. It was just a good vibe in, in, in the stadium. Although negative for us is that all the Newcastle fans were sort of caged behind a, uh, what seemed to be like a fishing net. Um, so that was a bit weird. So I never really saw, didn't really get like an HD experience, did we? Not quite. No, it was a big net hanging in front of us. Norman, how did you find? How did you find the atmosphere? Enjoy it. Brilliant, uh, brilliant stadium. Porto fans very noisy. The um, the kind of ultras, then I suppose you would call it. Um, that shows us what we ought to have in the UK, uh, in England. Um, English football is so ridiculously sanitised. Now the fact you can't even have a flagpole during the match is is pathetic. Also, you you would get idiots winding that. There was a flag in front of them. Um, but, <laughs> It's not like it's constant for 80 minutes. It's almost like every sort of 50 minutes they'll just have a, a particular song that'll kick it off and the flags will come out and massive fire bomb will go off. And it, and it just it just, it just just creates a really good atmosphere. Um, that was a really satisfying noise then. Brilliant. It was absolutely brilliant. I thought, uh, and I thought it, it, just, it was just excellent. It was one of those where, you know, like you, I think um, a couple of lads in the Gallagher they tried to bring a, a drum in and they've had pellets thrown at them by people who, who for some reason, think there's like, you know, something hideously wrong with the drum. I mean, for me, it contributes to the atmosphere and, and we saw the Porto fans. Um, I It was great. And the stadium itself is, I mean, from an aesthetic point of view, it's staggering. It's, no, it's, so, yeah. it's actually, from the outside, it doesn't look as, it's, you don't realise how deep it goes, mm-hmm. sort of like on, on underground, sort of on a hill. Building the hillside, isn't it? Yeah, so one end's very, very 
but it was, it was absolutely yeah. lush. Um, it looked fantastic. So we obviously started with a, a fairly a fairly strong side. Clark was in. Um, hearing news that Lejeune might be out for a, a fair while, which is a, a massive blow to us. Jacob Murphy got a start on the on, on the left hand side. Hosselu and um, Perez at front. It was, um, I think, it was quite significant that um, Gale didn't make it in the, in the starting lineup, or he didn't make it on the pitch at all. Obviously, before the game, we learned that Mitrovic was flying back to London, agreed terms with Fulham after what believes to be a twenty-two million pound bid being accepted. It sounds like, or it feels like, Gale's possibly on his way to West Brom. The fact that he didn't, he didn't feature at all in that game. Uh, I think says a lot. Uh, Yedlin was in, Dominic had a half, and um, I mean, from that first half, Porto created most of the chances, I thought. Uh, they, they overlapped quite well, the right back seemed to be busy, um, and we had Martin Dubravka back in goal, and he, I thought he was absolutely outstanding today. Um, he got loads of chance, and rightly so, he made some absolutely world class saves, and he just, you know, the organisation that he brings and the stability that he brings to that defence um, he's just a reliable guy he's a they're, they're cliched safe pair of hands but he really is it makes such a difference to our defending yeah. and basically we were pegged back for most of that first half and I think whereas I think we didn't give them too many clear cut chances in the first half we limited them to a few half chances we held our shape really well I think in the first half and it, it took until the, towards the end of the, the first half that we slowly started to grow into it I thought Diarmi had a really really good game in the middle I think he kind of outshone Shelby uh, tonight I don't know what your lads views on that one yeah his, his work rate was, was excellent wasn't he he was winning winning possession back um, his passing was good as well I thought you know it's not something he's always loaded for but um, yeah he, he was doing very well there and uh, I think you're probably right he did probably play better than Shelby even though Shelby had a decent game as well didn't he but uh, yeah the army was was, was was excellent in the middle like. no, we chatted before uh, the, before the start of the game about Jacob Murphy uh, getting a start how did you rate his performance I'll tell you what let me I'll, I'll comment on the Shelby the army sorry yeah, yeah. Um, I don't think we can see the army in a better game than Shelby in the sense that they're both playing different roles that's true mm-hmm. I thought the army was excellent in the role that he that he has um, and as you see Robbie's passing was 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 superb yep. tonight. Um Shelby did what Shelby does and he put in some he put some fantastic kind of long range passing in. Um Shelby probably played the match more like it was a friendly than Diomia. Diomia seemed to play it more like a like a kind of important competitive match and that's not a, a reflection on, on Shelby lacking the willing to take it seriously. It's just a case of well, you know, on a subconscious level he probably did just kind of slip into that kind of casual mode whereas whereas the army is a is a high energy player. And that, that came across. Um, I'm saying that Shelby did put a couple of tasty tattles in there, didn't he? He did. He did, I. <laughs> I did they, they were training ground tackles. He caught a guy, didn't he? was off a little bit. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, but but I, I thought was, I mean, Lascelles, I thought, oh, was yeah, absolutely yeah. excellent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's yeah. getting older. Lascelles is getting older. He's got a full season in the Premier League under his belt. He's taking the role of captain, and he's just, he's just grown into it every time you see him. And this is a player who, given our season, you guys on Narafa he's just going to get better and better and, and, if, and if he has a season like he did last year given, given it to be second full really second full season in the Premier League the season we got relegated he was kind of in and out of the team under McLaren um, he'd be, he be called up to the England squad I don't doubt it but on Murphy um, I thought Murphy was really he was buzzing he was buzzing he was positive um, he, was, he was but the only thing I think with Murphy is he looks very one-footed to me um, 
And that's the only kind of criticism you could level at him. But like you say, he was very positive. And again, I think we we spoke about this um, in the in the kind of match day podcast that uh, that we did. He's the kind of player who, given his age, he's going to be so useful to bring off the bench. He was good last season when he came off the bench, and he was good when he started a couple of games because he is direct and he does kind of he does kind of fluster teams. But again, it's one of those where he's got another season on his belt. He, he needs to start putting on a bit of muscle, I think, because he's very slight at the moment. Um, and he puts on muscle, it'll probably make him a little bit quicker and a bit even more direct. But um, I think this season for him, it's it, it could it could be very important for him. If he doesn't feature much in the side next season, I would think that his Newcastle career is probably not going to take off. So I think we'll see before Christmas if he's got like a kind of handful of games on his belt, then maybe he's going to become the, the, the player that I probably think we all think he can be. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting you mentioned his physicality there because I think Jose uh, Perez is a player who came to Newcastle as a quite slight but he's starting to learn to use his physicality in a really positive way and sort of he seemed he basically uh, he behaved stronger than he actually looked he was brilliant Paris to me yeah, yeah, yeah he really was he, he's, 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 he's straight he's intelligent yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, so I was, I was you know Tosselu chased down a bit I mean he, he had one half chance where the the left back or the left winger sort of crazily yeah. tried to pass it back to, to the goalkeeper from, from sort of out wide which is and I just think maybe somebody a bit sharper nicks in there and, and, and puts them one nil up. But we didn't really have too many chances. Uh, we, we, we had a couple of corners in the first half, but I think Porto kind of went in at half time fairly on top. I think second half, I expected a flurry of changes to be honest, but I think uh, beyond Mankio on for Dummett, and obviously Dummett's sort of coming back from uh, being on the treatment table a little bit, uh, we kept. You know, we kept with us that that same team that started for another ten minutes, which I thought was quite positive. It, 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 I think I think what, what Rafa's doing is he's getting he's more or less starting eleven match fit, isn't he? That's what that's what it is. It's yeah. like, right, I need to I need to phase them into playing basically eighty odd minutes, and I think against Braga, if Jose <coughs> Wholesale changes, then he'd probably play in the game for sort of sixty six five minutes. <coughs> Augsburg's the big one; he's probably going to play a full strength side in, in that game. I would say for at least the first half. Um, and again, I suppose it also probably reflects on the fact that. Strength and depth. We're not really kind of squad at the moment that can switch eleven for eleven. You know, you saw Longstaff come on. You saw Arm, um, Armstrong come on. Um, I think Sterry came on didn't yeah, as well. Yeah. Callum Roberts was playing left yeah. wing. Yeah, uh, exactly. Playing left back. Um, yeah. So I mean, we we finished the game with uh, a front four. That twenty three team almost as well. Front four of basically Longstaff in the hole in the Perez role. You had Armstrong up front. You had Callum Roberts on the left wing, and, yeah, and, and then you had Axi on the right wing. So it was. Um, <clears throat> You know what? Hayden came on, Sterry came on, um, Shaw came on, yeah. Shaw came on, yeah. Darlow came on. So yeah. there's a lot of wholesale changes in the second half. And the, I thought for Port on the Porto side, Abubakar looked a bit of a handful. Brilliant. But, but Yassin Brahimi ran the show for me. He was absolutely everywhere. Really tricky little player. Um, he's great. He's a, he's, he's, a, he's a great little player. Yeah. Okay, I think. And he, I think most sides would. Yeah, you know, we would. We would. We team. Um, I tell you, um, I was impressed with when he came on. I thought Keane was. Yeah, good. I, I was. I was thinking that as well. He was winning possession, wasn't he? And the, not just winning possession, but when he was winning possession, he was. It was all, almost like a turnover in basketball. He was, he, yeah. was, he was getting the ball forward as soon as he won the ball, and I think that's going to be important for us. Energy, energy, yeah. and strength. Yeah. And, and, he, and he's physically, he's very imposing. You don't, you don't anything because I mean, we all probably have a kind of idea or like an almost generalised idea. Of, of Japanese and South Korean national sides, like the high energy, you know, they're quick on the break. You don't expect them to be particularly physical, but Key almost goes 
goes against the grain because he's a big, powerful arm. And physically, he actually looks, he's got the same kind of strength as, um, and the, the kind of leg power as the arm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah the presence about him, definitely, uh, definitely. Yeah, I was, I was really impressed with his vision, like, mm. you know, a few of those sprayed passes, and it just... Experience made, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. He's, very, he's very aware of his defensive duties as well, yeah, like, by the looks of it. He's know? got nice touch, his yeah. technique's very close, his that mm. control, and it's just, it's another player, he's another player who can proper spray the ball out. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, 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 you know, if, if Shelby's not going to be on the pitch, Marino had it to an extent. But there's another player now that if Shelby's not going to be on the pitch, we have a player who can still take up that mantle. Not not quite to the effect that Shelby can manage it, but you know, near enough. And I, and I think that's I think that's quite important. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think as the game progressed, Porto had. I mean, Porto had so many chances. Uh, Dubravka made. A load of, of one of the saves that he made was. I mean, it was put it this way. If I said part of me doesn't want to see it again because it may actually be as good as what it looked when we saw it live, it was it looked utterly incredible. It's one of those saves where if if he managed to push it around the post, it would have been world class, but he actually managed to catch it in that place, yeah, in that yeah. close. I, mean, I think it was a diving header, from, yeah. I mean, they were getting in behind quite a lot and really turning the screw on. But I mean, Newcastle, to their credit, as much as we probably weren't getting the ball in the fight in you know in, in their in, in their third in their defensive third too much in the second half. We held our own defensively, although I think we we allowed them more clear cut chances than we had in the first half, and maybe that's a mixture of maybe fatigue, maybe it's the turnover of, of substitutes in the second half, or maybe it's just the fact that Porto's won the league, Portuguese league and we're essentially a, a championship outfit exactly. trying to struggle on, and ultimately they're. They're a good. They're a good European side. They, they were bringing on. Yeah. But they, they were bringing on players who are internationals. They were bringing players on internationals. We were bringing on basically under twenty three players who haven't really played for the first team. Absolutely. And we still got a nil draw against them. And again, it was yes, Porto had a lot of the ball, and I think I kept turning around to John every five minutes and saying, "Porto are going to score in the next five minutes," <laughs> because they did. They put that much pressure on. But game what it highlights is, is that you've got a, a, a new Us United managed by Rafa Benitez, a, a very kind of small core of real quality players but what he does is he gives the players instructions and they follow them and we're playing away I know it's a friendly but it was, they, very they got squad. It was a sold out stadium that just presented all the players this is a big thing that they do every pre-season they're the champions of Portugal they'll be in the Champions League they'll probably get to the second half of the quarter of the Champions League and we put out in the second half a more on a scratch side and through kind of tactical management and determination we still drill nil nil Porto I mean that's that's that, that, that to me is, is a good sign for you know the, the start of the season. It really is. Yeah, um, you know unbeaten in preseason so far. Um, I really, uh, I really liked. I thought their 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 club song was really catchy. I mean that would that would kind of do well in Eurovision. Yeah, it was beautiful. <laughs> the whole stadium was fantastic. The whole the whole atmosphere that they generated was fantastic. And also the other thing I'll say is meeting the fans outside the stadium on the way to the ground it was just brilliant it was just a brilliant brilliant atmosphere you know we we walked past the bar and some of the fans tried to drag away we just didn't have time because mm-hmm. we were so close to the yeah, game their, 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 their instinct was come in for a drink uh, yeah yeah not like what you're doing outside our pub on our, <laughs> on our street you know like, so they were, they were so welcoming like, it yeah. was almost like they were proud so <clears throat> kind of host yeah, us yeah, yeah, it was yeah. the hospitality there yeah. and it's kind of what you know it's what we saw in the bars that we visited you know there was uh, yeah. there was yeah. just there was a really welcoming atmosphere that we people didn't look down on us because we had the black and white stripes on. It was kind of like no, people, oh, people, people, people you've, come come always, you've come all the way uh, to our club. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it, was, it was great. I've had, I've had such a good day. Um, it's it's just been good vibes. 
Newcastle fans were in full voice, didn't stop singing really. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, I don't know how many was there. Maybe a, we guessed about four, or five hundred. Yeah. And, yeah. and obviously, you don't know how loud that was in the opposite end of the stadium because you were obviously. In no, I'll tell you. I'll tell you how loud it was. As an indicator, the, I'll tell you what's indicative of it. So in the first half, singing the Bravka song when he was um, at walking, walking end of the stadium, he heard that and he turned and he applauded. But when he went off, and he, as he walked towards the um, to the the dugouts. We must, everyone was singing and, and Dubravka always acknowledges fans when they sing and he didn't this time yeah. and that to me meant uh, he actually because he came up in the second half did he came up in the second half he came on the other side of the pitch went to the, uh, went to the touch lane and we were all singing oh Martin Dubravka and he, and he didn't he didn't acknowledge it and that to me suggests that he couldn't hear it from that so, it's, that so you, you think maybe it's sort of poor fans of the opposite uh, diagonal end <clears throat> yeah. probably just saw us on we're just basically watching us on mute yeah. and I was just thinking shit atmosphere these lads like, they're that, not bringing any to game to that was their end with the flags the exactly. ultras end isn't exactly. it so they're, they're, they'll be the ones creating the noise yeah. in, in the stadium so at that end you know probably you wouldn't hear the thing would you no no no, no. but I think like you say it, it's for match it, it's for match fitness and we saw we saw some hard we saw some hard work from the training ground there with, with the organisation and the, that defensive organisation Norman you mentioned when we came out you know about that, that a very rough performance I mentioned you know the, man, you know, the infamous Man City game when we lost 1-0 but we got men behind the ball the, the, Rafa's ability to organise against a, a greater attacking threat is something that's going it, to turn defeats into draws this season and it's gonna, that's going to help confidence it's going to get points yeah. on the board and that's, it, it's that kind of tactical management that's going to put him at, I don't care that a lot of other clubs are spending 20 million this 30 million that because ultimately none of them have as exactly if you, if he's, 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 he's worth more than he like Wolves have gone out and spunked a load of money on like brilliant Portuguese players don't get me wrong but it's pretty sandwich it isn't it is. um, you've got like um, you know Fulham going out and spend the money you can't have just you've got you've got Brighton Huddersfield shooting in Wagner on to Rafa Benitez so they haven't spend 50, 60, 70, 80 million more than us to get on the yeah, yeah. <laughs> no you, you, like, like, let's put let's put either McLaren or Pardew into, the, into this into this in the dugout tonight right Utterly fucking inept and clueless. This is the difference. Pardew and, and McLaren, you know, two most recent managers, apart from Carver, but we'll, we'll leave that because um, he wasn't a manager, was he? Um, they have nothing beyond this kind of one or two dimensional tactical fucking, you know, tactical fail they've got. That's all they've got. They've got like, this is what I do and that's it. They won't, they won't even think about the opposition. They won't even think, this is how they play. This is their squad. It's better than those, right? This is what we've got. Now, how am I going to get the best out of my team against this superior side? This is what I've got to do. That's what Rafa does all the time. McLaren and Pardew tonight against our Porto side, you'd be looking for three or four piercing. And the thing is, it would only be three or four because they would have slowed down after the first 20 minutes because they'd already be two up. <laughs> That's the difference. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. He's worth, he's worth, Rafa's worth probably 20 points a season just based on his tactical capacity alone. Absolutely. I, I can't disagree. Like you, like you say with uh, McLaren, you know, the likes of McLaren and Pardew, Dummies guy to Premier League survival, you know that they, they're just chapter one. It's, it, that, that's how it is. Yeah. Rafa adapts to every single game based on intense research, based on um, his, his tactical, you know, malleability, and also during the match as well. That's the thing; he can affect change within within minutes. I mean, I'm, I'm waxing the record. Yeah, I'll stop in a second. But what he does is. So he, he looked at an opposition and he got right, this is how they're going to play. There are superior side, they've got superior players in this position, this position, this position. So this is what we need to do. This is what we're going to do. Drill, drill the players before the match, for the week leading up to the match or whatever it is. 
in the start of the match. Now, if they start getting on top, or they maybe slightly a lot of their tactics during the game, he, he's got that kind of speed of thought again. All right, then he's basically got plan A, plan B, plan C, plan D, and plan E. There's, I've never known a manager being be able to just within a game, within minutes of a game, effect a change like that. And again, I'll stop here, but God Almighty. As long as he's at this club, I'm going to appreciate every second he's got because the man's a fucking genius. Yes. There's no two ways about it. Yeah. So, with the Braga game coming up, um, do you think he's going to make many changes? Um, will will, will Shaw start, for example? I mean, if, if this crack about Lejeune is <laughs> true about a long-term injury, I mean, that's a, it's a huge blow to us and we're, we're going to... Shaw's just going to have to get integrated really, really quickly yeah. because we... I, 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 Talk about you, I don't want to start the season with Kieran Clark. Like, yeah, it, I, I agree. It's okay today, it's okay, but I, I nah, in, in, in a competitive Premier League fixture, I, I worry about well, it. Well, Charles, Charles come on tonight and played, hasn't he? So I don't see any reason why he couldn't start against, at least start against Braga, you know, like put out a strong team in the first half, play 45 minutes or maybe 60 minutes, something like that. Um, I mean, by the time the game comes around, around Gail might have been on a shot. Yeah, yeah. Gail yeah. might be even in better form. Also, Shaw is more match fit than anyone else in that squad because he played in the World yeah. Cup. Yeah. Um, Does that mean he's more tired though? But, I, mean, I don't think so. Because I, I don't think well, because they're professional athletes now, you know. And I, I don't. I mean, think, he played like a few yeah, games. They, they got the loss in the second round. He's a centre half, so it's not like he's a box to box midfielder. Um, he's a Swiss international. He's got pedigree. You like you see, can't agree, couldn't agree with me anymore. Um, I love Kieran Clark in terms of what he's what he's given to the club, especially in the championship season. He's clearly the kind of player who likes being at Newcastle. But you start matches in the Premier League with Kieran Clark at centre half, then you're going to be looking around the bottom four or five. You know, down when we saw last season during the, the nine game um, run that we had, we collected one point. Clark was a particularly weak link in that side. Um, Shaw, I think, will adapt a lot quicker to the Premier League than, than he did in Spain because playing in the Swiss Super League, playing in Germany, that the similarities are, they've got more in common with English football than average Spanish football, and I, and I think Shaw. Will be, will be will be fine. He'll be, he's, he'll be a fine replacement for Lejeune. And also, we mentioned it before. We're talking about him. He's got the cells on the same now. In the cells now, the cells of this season is an established, experienced captain of the Premier League side playing at centre half. He will talk Shaw through every single minute of that game until Shaw's up to speed. And, <coughs> and, and I think Debraco will help in that, in that yeah, respect well, as well. Yeah. And, and you know, in, in the wake of you know, a possible Harry Maguire move to Man United and again, more talk about Lascelles possibly being a £35 million target for, Le- for Leicester City. Again, I I, I just can't, I, I can't see it happening. We've said before, he's, he's not for sale and I, I think, especially if Lejeune's injured, there's, 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 there's no chance. They could offer, they could offer twice that. Lascelles knows we'll finish above Leicester next season because Leicester owned up well next season. Puel will be gone by Christmas. He's a good manager, but he won't. It's the same football players, and we're going to have less than the league table, which will probably reflect the, 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 the sum of our parts as a squad. They might be 9, 10, 11, 12 by Christmas, and because they won the league a couple of seasons ago, they, the bar with Leicester has been, it's been altered, like, kind of, like, inaccurately. It's almost like we won the league two seasons ago, and on a complete fluke to a certain extent, you know, like the, yeah. the stars are lying for them, right? Yeah, it was. It was. Um, and, but what's, what happened is, they've now got an expectation level that's probably unsustainable so Puel next season if he hasn't got them sort of pushing top 6-7 if they're not playing this kind of you know attractive football because Puel is a, a very pragmatic defensive minded coach he'll be gone by Christmas so Lascelles will probably look at again why the fuck would I want him to Leicester yeah that's it in terms of the Braga game Rob do you expect <clears throat> do you expect us to set up fairly similarly to how we did tonight kind of soaking up pressure try to be, be more expansive on the, on, on the break 
uh, use the pace of Perez and, and, and whoever might be playing yeah, in front of the yeah. tank. What, what do you expect? Yeah, I think we'll probably put out a, 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 again a similar starting lineup. Maybe you might look to start Key instead of I don't know, maybe Darmy. Try try Shelby and Key together in the middle. Um, I think Sharp probably will start. Um, I think Braga finished fourth last season in the, in the in Primera Division, so you know obviously they're a decent side. So it'll be just as just as difficult a test as Porto was. It was I was I was a bit surprised that uh, Victor Fernandez didn't come on mm. left wing mm. when 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 Callum Roberts came yeah, on. Yeah. Uh, that was a bit of an odd one for me, and I was trying to see from where we were, trying to see what the number on the back was. It was thirty-seven. I was thinking, I'm pretty sure from what I from what I saw from the other games, that Victor Fernandez is thirty-eight. Possibly, I might have got that one, but. He was a player that is very highly rated in the 23s. Mm. I don't know, I, I expected to see him in his steady kind he of may, He may start against Braga. He might, yeah, yeah, he might get some minutes against Braga. He might include, yeah. Yeah, you know. I mean, Atsu came on and, you know, back at Porto because he just spent a, yeah, yeah, a season year there, on yeah. but he didn't, didn't do loads. I, I think he's very much kind of a fourth choice winger, is Atsu. Atsu, Atsu is um, Atsu the tech player and we've got a few of them in the squad. Hayden, for example, they're in the no man's land between the championship and the Premier League. They're not they're, they're better than the championship, but not quite good enough for regular performances in the regular games in the Premier League. And they're kind of in, in that space. And like you see, Atsu now, he is he is like if he's a fourth choice wing. I would play on either flank, you know, we get a couple of injuries, great. Or we're chasing the game because he's got pace and he's direct. He might be very angry, he's good to bring on because he's, yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he threw, he, he's kind of like, he's like throwing a kind of curveball at the opposition in the. You know, they, they might struggle to cope with it a little bit with, the, with his pace sort of 50 minutes out, but he's not a regular start in the Premier League and hence hence his career so far has been relatively low key. Um, we got him for six and a half million and we got him like 24, 25. He's been on under four or five clubs. He's just an okay player. He's pro- I, I expect him to probably, it'll, it'll probably not last another two seasons. I think he'll be, he'll be gone probably after the next probably season. Be, he'll probably go abroad, kind of like a more sustainable from mid- I mean, it, it's it's a funny one these preseason friendlies because it, I think we're all pretty certain that you know we're going to be seeing completely different strikers start up front for for the first game against Spurs. I mean, Muto is expected to come in next week. Obviously, huge talk and rumours about um, Gail Leave and Rondon coming in is a in some sort of swap deal of some respect. Um, so it's. It, it's it's odd because whatever we're seeing now, we're not we're not we still don't know how potent we can be in the final third. I've got a question for you two actually, and this is one thing that I did notice um, kind of midway through the first half. And I love I love what this bloke's done with the club. I don't want to go anywhere. He's one of my favourite Newcastle players, Matt Ritchie. The one thing I did notice tonight, you could really tell that his, his lack of pace hinders him ever so slightly. Because obviously Porto had so much of the ball, they were attacking so much, and a couple of times we had a chance to break, and it was Richie's his intelligence, his positional play, his passing, his set pieces are all brilliant. But as a winger, just just tonight, a couple of kids I thought, oh man, if you just had that one half an extra yard of pace, yeah. it would have made a real difference. So the rumours that have gone on at the start of the summer about him getting rid of Richie perhaps and bringing someone in quicker, I can obviously see what you know maybe what Rafa and the coaching staff mindset is. As a fan, as fans, we're very biased towards him because we love him. But at the same time, as a pragmatic manager of a football club, you probably are going, I just need someone that a little bit quicker. With that ability, with that strength, with that determination, just that half a yard. And I, and I noticed it, I don't know if you two did, maybe I'm, maybe I'm like looking a little bit too closely. 
Um, yeah, so I've, I've thought about this, and obviously when the Townsend rumours and Richard de Stoke, that's obviously not going to happen now because Stoke have brought in, the, in, brought in two wingers. But I was, I was sort of hopeful that Richie would move on and, and Townsend would come in. Obviously, I'd love to, I'd love the club to be in a position where they're going to, they could keep Matt Ritchie as a, as a backup winger, um, but obviously we're in a position where we're going to have to sell the buy. And, you know, I did some stats on, on Richie and Townsend and, and, and Richie's, Richie's lack of ability to, to take on his man, successful dribbles, create chances, like Townsend is streets ahead of him in every single department. And, what Townsend would bring over a Richie, we don't know, you know, Townsend might not come at all, but with Richie, a left back can read him after 10 minutes. What does he do every time? He cuts in on his left. He never goes down the outside. Someone like Townsend is versatile. He attacks in different ways. He'll cut in on his left and have a shot, or he'll go down the byline and use his right foot with his pace. And that's something Richie is never, never going to do. You mentioned Murphy earlier. You, you felt he was quite one-footed and he kept coming on his, on, on his right. He did go down and cross with his left on one occasion and you know, there was nobody there as it, as it happens. I think possibly could have maybe anticipated a bit better, but I think at least Murphy's got that pace to, you know, if he is one-footed, he'll still get around the outside and then cut in once he's in a position, whereas Richie is never going to do that. And as much as I love what he's done for the club, as you said, I... I, I, I think he's been fantastic and so important for us the last two seasons. If we really want to push on and if we want to play how Rafa sees his style of football working, we need a fast, we need pacey wingers. Kennedy down the left and, 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 and a pacey winger down the right and that is not Richie, which means that we're, we're, we've got this, there's no, there's a bit of imbalance there. I mean, to an extent, you could argue that there's an imbalance with, with, with Dummett's playing style and Yedlin's playing style. So actually, Yes. Yeah. Both sides are almost like balanced because there's a slow and a fast on each side. But yeah, really balanced. Yeah. yeah. So, but, but ultimately, I think Rafa wants somebody. As you can say, if you saw the frustrations there, that's something that it's it's a very real problem. Matt Ritchie turns 29 mm-hmm. next month. He's he's the highest value that he's that he's ever going to be at the, in terms of market value. I've looked up and. Yeah, I think if we are going to sell the buy, I think now is the time. I mean, I can imagine there's more than just Stoke that would be interested in the services because of what he brings. You talk about Mitrovic never going to be fitting in our system, but can probably still do a reasonable job for somebody in the right system. I think Richie is better than Mitrovic and will definitely do a job in a different system that doesn't rely on pace. I think Rafa wants to high press and that's why the likes of Muto are coming in. And if Rondon comes in, he's a bit more mobile as well. You've got Kennedy on the left. You've got Perez running in as well. He will want fast players because if we're going to be sitting back for most, you know, if he likes to play on the counter attack, Shelby pinging balls up. We need pace on the on, on the break, and we need and we weren't we're out of position. We need to harry those defenders, force the mistakes, and gain territory. And Richie he works hard. He just doesn't have that pace that you need, and I think that's what Rafa possibly considered and might still consider letting him leave this is talk about him in the dressing room as well isn't there about him? he's, he's uh, a little bit dis- not disruptive but he's not the, he's not the best character in the dressing room angry. it's interesting isn't it <laughs> angry <laughs> yeah. he's an angry little man like, he is uh, isn't he I shout at me once during a match there was a couple of times uh, a couple of times tonight I don't know if you noticed this he, he left Yedlin a little bit exposed at right back I thought um, just a couple of times in the first half Yedlin was uh, he was 
he had two men to, to pick up and they had, they had a couple of crosses into our box with, as a result of that um, well they just got very good overlapping they, they, uh, they did I mean it's to, yeah. fair play to them you know that was their tactic um, and it, it, it's not like Richie to neglect his defensive duties normally but and, then, and again because he's got that lack of pace him getting back into position yeah, yeah, that, that's possibly yeah, an issue that, as well yeah, so yeah we'll see what happens with him so well I think we're going to wrap that up it's been an absolutely unbelievable um, experience today and, and in terms of the weekend we've spoken to loads of amazing people in, in Porto they've been so friendly there's a great atmosphere in, in, in the stadium as well it's just it's just been absolutely class um, and so you know thank you to Peyton fans for, for supporting us and allowing us to bring you sort of content from the front line if you will um, really appreciate it. it's fantastic if you're not signed up get on board it's five a month you're going to get so many uh, great podcasts by all the all the team you know there's a, there's a load of us that work really hard um, and you know we want to bring you more content we want you to get involved it's been fantastic lads it's been an absolute pleasure Rafa's Mags in Porto Brilliant. what what a way man um, just wish we I just wish we were here for Brag up there you go yeah. there we go <laughs> it's not going to happen thanks very much Norman thanks yeah. very much yeah. cheers and we'll see you next time cheers this is the story of the one as a maintenance engineer he hears things differently to the untrained ear everything on his shop floor might sound fine but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping so he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand and he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.